my most memorable Sundays here at Freedom's Church was in August of 2009. It was what was called an installation service where I was officially installed as the new pastor of Freedom's Church. And it was a very special morning. Our district superintendent spoke for a little while during that service. And then one of my seminary professors, Dr. John Nyquist, spoke for a little while. Uh, the, the interim pastor who was here for 14 months prior to me literally passed a baton off to me. In addition, I was prayed over during that service. And then after the service, there's a special reception out in Fellowship Hall that featured these cool cookies that had a picture of Shelley and I right on, on the top of them. It was a very special, memorable morning for me. And as I look back on that day, I've had many flashbacks of it over the years, there is one particular moment of that morning that sticks out to me more than all the rest. And that one particular moment that I think of more than any other did not actually take place during the service itself. It took place probably about 30 or 45 minutes following the service. And Dr. Nyquist and I, we were just standing in my office for a few minutes, and I distinctly remember him looking me straight in the eye and saying, Brandon, never forget that your ministry is not to this office, it is to the people. Your ministry is not to the office, it is to the people. Dr. Nyquist knew that I had deeply value relational ministry. Yet he also knew how easy it is for pastors to get so wrapped up in their sermon preparation and in administrative responsibilities and in various projects and meetings that they lose sight of the importance of relational ministry and they end up not really investing their lives personally in many people, if anyone at all. And so he was reminding me on that day of the importance of relational ministry. I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 1. We are in a series right now that is called Roots, and it's all about looking at these underlying values that nourish freedom's vitality. And these underlying values are oftentimes kind of below the surface where you can't really see them exactly, yet at the same time, they radically influence everything we do at Freedom's and why we do it. Last week, we looked at this value of majoring on the majors. And we recognized that there might be a difference of opinions or beliefs or practices on secondary matters, but we want to make sure that we are steadfastly united around the Bible and around the gospel. I want to make one clarifying point on this topic, that there are a lot of things that Scripture teaches, and when you have a doctrine that's rooted in Scripture, even if it's not up on the exact same level of importance as the gospel is, it's still vitally important that we carefully study what we believe and why we believe it and understand that not every interpretation of Scripture is equally valid. So we need to study why do we believe what we believe, yet at the same time we need to be sure that we are keeping the gospel first and foremost in our minds and in our practices. Now today we're moving on to this next value that, that characterizes us as a church, and that is the importance of relational ministry. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 1. So, Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. I mean, what a privilege it is to have that parent-child relationship with you through faith in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you made us to thrive, just as the song sang a few minutes ago, that when you sent Christ to this world, he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Yet, Lord, we also know that this life that we are meant to have with you is meant to be shared with others around us as well in various different ways. And I pray that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to the importance of relationships, especially within the body of Christ. Open our eyes to these things this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're going to start off just looking at two verses in Genesis 1. It's verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now from these two verses, I want to make the case this morning that the relational way of life and ministry is based on our relational God. Our relational mentality in our lives and in our ministry is based on the fact that God is a relational God. Look with me back to verse 26. God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And these plurals here, hopefully you heard them, these, these plurals here point to something in the nature of God. That he is plural, let us make man in our image, yet he's also singular. Because the very next verse, verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. What this is talking about is what's known as the triune nature of God, which is also known as the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that God eternally exists in three persons. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're called persons because they are personal. Yet at the same time, there is still one God. So it's a three-in-one unity. A tri-unity, which, that's what the idea of triune means. But if you take this phrase tri-unity and condense it down a little bit, you get the term trinity. So it's talking about the same thing thing as three-in-one God. And this doctrine of the trinity teaches that God is inherently relational. Because from eternity past, he has existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in, in intimate, loving relationship with himself. There's never been a time that he's ever been lonely. He did not create the universe because he is lonely, because he is inherently relational in his own being. He's inherently a relational being. And then, when he created humanity, he created us to be relational beings as well. Verse 27, so he created mankind in his own image. This idea of being made in God's image means that there are certain qualities in God that, that are reflected in us. And a part of this is because he is relational. We, as being humans made in his image, are designed to be relational as well. And this has a huge impact on the way that we conduct our lives and our ministry. And one of the implications of this relational nature of God and the relational nature of who we are is that spiritual growth flourishes best in the context of relationships. Spiritual growth flourishes best in the context of relationships. Now, there are many direct statements in Scripture that help validate this. For instance, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So it talks about the refining nature of, of quality, meaningful relationships to help people grow. But rather than just quoting a whole bunch of isolated verses in Scripture, I want to look at it from a different angle. I want to consider, first of all, the model of Jesus' ministry. The model of Jesus' ministry. Imagine for a minute that you were Jesus. I know it's kind of funny to think. I mean, you can kind of put yourself in another normal human's shoes. Jesus' shoes are a little different. But imagine for a minute that you are Jesus, and you have all the power in the universe, and you come to this earth with the mission of starting a movement that will impact lots and lots of people beneficially. So 
you want to start a movement that will impact a lot of people, you have all the power in the universe, how would you go about that? I imagine that for a lot of us, we would instinctively think of having these big, fancy events where you can communicate this powerful message to a whole lot of people at once. I mean, at least that'd be a whole lot more efficient. You have a lot of powers. You can pull something like that off. I mean, that's what a lot of people, a lot of us would think about. But then, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus, Jesus' plan, it seems kind of anticlimactic when you look at it, at least on the surface, because all Jesus did, he didn't pull out these big fancy uh, rallies and events and stuff to get his message out there. All he did was call 12 men to start following him. Now, he did not completely neglect the crowds by any means, but the vast majority of his time was spent investing in the lives of these 12 disciples. I mean, it is, um, it is just a perfect picture of what relational ministry is all about, because for three years, these 12 individuals followed him everywhere he went. Wherever he walked, they walked. They overheard his teaching. They overheard his conversations. They heard him pray. Whenever he ate, they would eat. Wherever he slept, they would sleep. I mean, that's relational ministry if you ever have relational ministry in the history of the universe. There's relational ministry taking place right there. And I think it's valid to ask, why did Jesus choose this plan to begin to spread the good news of his good news around the world? Why was that his plan, to invest in a few people like that? Well, I think he understood that the most powerful way you can make an impact on people's lives that endures is to invest relationally in people's lives. That's the best way to see lasting, impactful instruction and transformation. Think about, for instance, evangelists today. Billy Graham, for instance. Evangelists today might have huge events, speaking to perhaps tens of thousands of people at the same time in a large stadium, but they will always have a very systematic process of personal follow-up with anyone who responded to the gospel. I mean, people will call them up. People will go visit them. They'll try to get these new Christians involved in a local church. Why? Because strong, healthy relationships with other Christians are vital for long-term spiritual growth. I think of Dr. Nyquist and his influence on me. I knew him pretty well for all four years of, that I was in the seminary. And he loved relational ministry. And he not, not only taught it in his classes, he lived it. I think about how many hours I just spent with him in his office simply talking or over at his house. I remember one time he had a leaky faucet. So, so I went over there and we worked on it together. And I mean, for him, simply driving together to Home Depot and working on it together was a form of ministry because we're sharing life together. And, and by sharing life together, you, you rub off on each other. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, one man sharpens another. And so... Um, he, he had this practice of whenever he'd go somewhere, especially for ministry, he would take someone with him. And so for me, for a number of years, whenever he would go speak uh, or do ministry somewhere in Chicago outside of our seminary, I would frequently go with him. He's, if he's speaking in a college campus, campus, if he's leading a training seminar, he would take me with him, not so that I could gain from his specific official teaching, but because of the relational ministry, because the impact you have from lives rubbing off on other people's lives. There was even one time I had the opportunity to go to South Dakota with him because he was leading a weekend seminar at a church in Sioux Falls. Why did we do that? 
because of relational ministry. Now coming back to scripture, we see that relational ministry was, was at the heart of, of Jesus' life and what he did on this earth. Also, if you look at the Apostle Paul, you would see very similar relational dynamics. I mean, his ministry is a little bit different, but, but still, he was frequently investing in people. He had people going with him where he was going so that he could invest in their lives. But I want to move now to looking at the nature of the church, because the church is designed to be relational. In Scripture, when you come across the term church, it's not referring to a church building or a church service. It's typically referring to a gathering of people, especially when it's talking about a particular church in a local setting. It's talking about a gathering of people. It's a relational idea, and this comes across in many of the biblical images for the church as well. For instance, many times in Scripture, the church people are referred to as a family. They refer to each uh, each other as brothers and sisters. It's this relational term of warm, committed, caring relationships. In Ephesians chapter 2, the church is referred to as a household of God. Multiple other times, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. It's a bit of a different analogy, but still it talks about this interrelationship, this interconnectedness of different parts that need to be in relationship with one another. And so church is designed to be relational, and it's to the point that where there's such a high value on the interpersonal relationships within the body of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it specifically says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. So evidently there are some people then, it still happens today, that begin to pull away from Christian fellowship. And Hebrews is saying, you know what? Don't give up meeting together. It's incredibly important that you keep meeting together, keep those relationships going so that you can encourage one another to keep following Christ. Now a couple of comments I want to make about this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. One is that it is spiritually very dangerous when a person pulls away from Christian fellowship. Just from my observations through the years, that is a pretty strong predictor that at some point, probably in the relatively near future, is that if they pull away from their relationships with other Christians, it will probably not be that long before they also begin to pull away from Christ. So that is one important observation. A second one is that if your only involvement in the church family is here for a Sunday morning service, you are short-circuiting the potential for spiritual growth in your life. Because, you know what, church services are valuable in many different ways. Don't stop coming to church services. We have to understand that the relational component of church services is not that great. For deep connection, for deep encouragement, for having people pray for you, um, just for holding holding you accountable and you you just getting to know other people and carrying each other's burdens. There are so many aspects of the Christian life that cannot be accomplished if this is your only connection point with the church family. We need so much of what happens in a church service, but we also need more, especially in terms of quality, meaningful relationships with other Christians. Now, we're specifically talking about how these values apply here at Freedens. And one of the ways that we strive to live out relational ministry here at Freedens is through what we call the up and out triangle. This is just a picture of what we believe is the essence of the Christian life, that we have, as Christ followers, three key relationships— We have our up relationship with God, our in relationship with other Christians within the body of Christ, and then our out relationship with the surrounding world. 
They're all key relationships. And the gospel is right there in the center, trying to keep the main thing the main thing because the gospel should shape and empower each of these three key relationships. And like I said, I I believe this is really the essence of the Christian life. And we actually have this written out right in our mission statement that our mission as a church is making disciples of Jesus through up-in-out relationships. Making disciples of Jesus through up-in-out relationships. So we have relationships written right into our mission as a church because we believe that relationships with God, with other Christians, and with the surrounding world are so central to God's calling in our lives. Now, it's really nice to have a cool diagram like this triangle that you can remember um, what, what the essence of the Christian life is all about. It's really cool that we have relationships written into our mission statement. But that in and of itself is not enough to create a culture um, where people truly value, in this case, relational ministry. It has to go deeper than that. So, so what is Freedom's doing to try to get this value for relational ministry into the fabric of who we are? Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we get to that, I want to just take a few minutes to highlight the, the dynamics of how culture works, specifically three different levels of culture that function in any sort of group you will ever come across. And these three levels come from a book uh, by Edgar Sheen called Organizational Culture and Leadership. Now, you might be tempted in the next few minutes just to tune me out. Um, I appreciate it if you don't do that. Um, but I'll say, even though this might seem a, a bit abstract just for a minute, is incredibly relevant in pretty much every area of life. So here goes. Three levels of culture. One level of culture is called artifacts, which are the observable products of cultures. Everything that you can see, hear, taste, smell, it's anything that you can experience with your five senses. And so, for example, we can smell the aroma of donuts beginning to come in to the sanctuary that are being cooked in the kitchen right now. That's an artifact. The other things in our sanctuary right now, we have a 10-foot cross up here. That is an artifact. Look at the setup of the stage or the style of music that we have in the service. That is an example of an artifact, something that's observable about the culture of our church. The way we dress here at church is an artifact. The format and the feel of our church service, the, the content of the message, the words I'm speaking right now, That's an observable, audible artifact that is a part of the culture of Freedom's Church. The fact that there are children here in the service right now is a distinctive artifact here at Freedom's Church. And the fact that we set aside a time slot in pretty much every service for a children's message, that's an artifact of our culture as a church. The, The fact that we have greeters and ushers at the doors when people come in is an artifact. The value that we place on quality graphics and the bulletins and for sermon PowerPoints, those are artifacts in our culture of a church. These are things that you can observe with your senses. And there are many other artifacts as well, but I I specifically pointed out each one of these because they are all very intentionally designed to communicate something specific. Now, what do they communicate? Well, I'm going to move on from that at this point. You can interpret them um, on your own as we move through this, but... But we have to understand that all artifacts, not all artifacts, but artifacts, especially those that are intentionally chosen, or, and most artifacts in general, do communicate values in some manner or another. 
and values is that next level of culture. It's the espoused beliefs and values, which are the things that people say are important. And this is the level that we are specifically talking about in the sermon series because it's all about the underlying values that nourish freedom's vitality. So the values are the things that people say are important, and those are expressed on the artifact level um, through things that we say, things that we do, ways that we decorate our church, ways we decorate our house, the way we dress, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money. Those are artifacts that live out the values. At least they should live out the values that we say that we have. We'll come back to that in a minute. One more deeper level of culture are underlying assumptions, which are the unconscious beliefs that shape everything in a culture. They're unconscious, meaning that people typically don't really think about them very much. They just take them for granted. But they're operating under the surface, shaping everything. If push comes to shove and there's a conflict between values and underlying assumptions, underlying assumptions will win pretty much every time. But, but when you look at these three levels of culture, when you get them all aligned with each other, it creates a very powerful culture that influences people who come into contact with that culture. And this can be a very, very good thing most of the time when you have values that are healthy and godly. But then if you have dissonance between any of the levels of culture, say if you, you have a stated value that doesn't line up with the artifacts or that doesn't line up with the underlying assumptions, it's going to create a messier culture, something that's probably more confusing for the people involved, leaving people perhaps disillusioned or even hurt in the process. And so the ideal is to clearly choose what values you believe are good to live out, whether it's in your workplace, in your family, in, in your school, in, in a church, for yourself personally. Figure out what are the values that you think need to be lived by, and ideally they're lined up with Scripture, and then figure out how am I going to live those out and what sort of, sort of underlying assumptions will support those values. Like I said, this idea of the levels of culture has incredible relevance everywhere in our lives. I mean, even in the huddle that I'm a part of on Wednesday evenings, we are currently talking about how to create um, an environment in our family that's going to help specifically our children grow closer to Christ. It's all about family culture, and we're actually talking about and applying the three levels of culture there, especially in the artifacts level. We have the value if we want our children to follow Christ and have these other godly biblical values. But how do you help create an environment in, in our family that's going to help point our children in that direction? It's all about culture. But this morning, I want to come back to our church's culture and how we are seeking to live out this value that we call discipleship through relationships. This is a, a specifically stated value that we have written in various places. When you have a value that you want to have lived out in a culture, the primary way that you implement that value is through designing artifacts, those observable products of culture, designing them in such a way that they will embody the value that you are trying to, to live out. And so for us, as we are talking about discipleship through relationships, how do we create a culture in the church that values relational ministry? Well, let me give you a few examples because today is not the first day that we've thought about this. We've been tried to be intentional in this for actually many, many years, but this is kind of pulling the veil back in, in terms of why we do what we do on some things. For instance, when you receive an email that, that I send to the entire church, are you aware of how it starts? What's the salutation in the email? Typically, I start an email to the church saying, Dear Frieden's family. 
It's probably not every single time, but, but check it out next time you get an email from me that goes out to the church. It usually starts Dear Frieden's Family because language creates culture. The phrases and the terminology that we use on a regular basis creates the cultural environment. And we use this phrase Frieden's Family quite frequently to communicate that we are a loving, committing, committed, caring group of, that's together in what we are doing in following Christ. We are a church family. Another thing, why do we have food after every service in Fellowship Hall? And why do we so frequently have potlucks with the church family? Well, it's not to try to fatten us up. That is not the goal here. But we also recognize that food helps people connect. It really does. And the same motivation of helping people connect is the reason why we have various social activities. It's why we have family fun nights in the summer. It's why we have name tag Sundays periodically. It's why even on the morning like this morning, we have a, a short greeting time during the service. Yes, it's a short connection time, but it's still, still a connection point that helps live out the value of relational ministry. Why after a service do I stand at that door pretty much every time and greet people by shaking hands? It's a connection point. It's brief, but it's still a connection point with people. And, by the way, it also slows the rush of people out of here after a service. Because if you look at churches where no one's at the door slowing anyone down, um, 95% of the people will be out of there in one minute. But by shaking hands, it actually slows down the line of people. And I mean, yeah, people do go out through this door, and that's fine. Um, I've never seen anyone try to get through that door to escape um, <laughs> relational connections. That is an emergency exit, so in an emergency, feel free to use that door. But it it slows down the rush of people, which as a byproduct can encourage people just to have a brief conversation with someone, just fostering a little relational connection. Why do I strive to know people's names? I don't get it perfect all the time, but why do I strive to know people's names and periodically hold our leaders accountable for knowing people's names as as well? It's because you really can't have a relational culture if you don't know people's names. It's pretty basic. Here's a big one that I get questions on periodically. Why do we allow and even encourage people to talk with one another in the sanctuary before a church service? I've received questions about this through the years, and there are some churches that strive to have people be quiet in the sanctuary prior to the service, or even silence if possible. And you know what? For some churches, that is perfectly fine. But for us, as we are focused on having a, a relational culture, we believe that that connection time before a service is very valuable just for meeting newcomers or for reconnecting with people or checking in, hey, what's the update on this prayer request? Or, or just, you know, just, just having even small talk. It fosters relational connections. It's all these little things that help create a relational culture within the church. Do you know, for instance, on another topic, that our Sunday morning classes specifically have a section in them for discussion? They all do, and that is by intentional design. We have a set of guidelines. It's called Sunday morning classes, objectives, and values. Everyone who leads a Sunday morning class uh, gets a copy of this and is asked to please follow this. There are two sections of it. Values that shape Sunday morning classes. One of the values is discipleship through relationships. And then also logistics of Sunday morning classes. Let me read you one of the bullet points on the logistics. It says that classes should include at least 10 to 15 minutes of relatively open-ended discussion time for participants to verbally process their questions and takeaway points. 
This means that for lecture or DVD-based classes, the lecture or video should be no longer than 35 minutes in order to allow for adequate group discussion. So putting this into practice, there have been times where there is a great DVD-based curriculum out there that we have to turn away from, from Sunday morning classes because it's too long. It doesn't allow for discussion time. Why do we think discussion time is so important? Well, it allows participants to verbally process what they're learning, to ask questions, to talk about personal application as well. And also, it promotes relational connections, which obviously the relational connections during a class are not going to be that deep if they're just formed there. But it can facilitate connections that will grow on a later basis to help people grow closer to Christ. And that's the whole goal. Because our goal is not just to have people connect for the sake of connection. Our goal is to help people to connect with one another for the sake of growing as a follower of Christ. And towards that end, one of the other things I want to highlight that we've implemented in, in our structure and culture as a church is huddles. We talked about them earlier in the service, but there are these groups of two to four people of the same gender who meet on a regular basis, at least every other week, to help each other grow as followers of Christ. Now, you heard two to four people. That is smaller than your typical Bible study or small group. We still have Bible studies in small groups, and I think they are still very good things. But there are certain benefits that come out of that smaller grouping in a huddle of two to four people. And, and some of the benefits include the fact that huddles provide a level of, of personal discussion and personal application, a level of prayer, a level of accountability, a level of follow-up from prayer requests and other discussions that you typically can't get in a larger group, even a group that has 10 to 15 people like a typical Bible study or small group. The smaller the relational level, the greater the opportunity for deeper connection, deeper application, deeper accountability, and it really does make a difference in people's lives. I, um, I'm in a huddle, as I said, on Wednesday evenings with a group of three other guys. And one of the men who's been a part of uh, a huddle with me for a number of years and then a small discipleship group before we had huddles is Jesse Cott. Now, Jesse is only with us in picture and in word today. He's not with us in person because he's celebrating his 15th wedding anniversary to Justine this weekend on a special weekend away. So we have his picture here from a few years ago. And I did talk with him this week in preparation for this. And um, he gave me permission to share what I'm going to share. Um, but a couple of years ago, he wrote something about his experience in a discipleship group prior to huddles. But I think this gives a good picture of the power of this relational ministry. He wrote about the discipleship group. He said, The discipleship group has impacted my life in many ways. I have found the most important aspect is accountability. It has been great to share my walk with Christ with other men and for them to experience and them to encourage and hold me accountable for areas I have struggled with or ask for help. It has been equally important to encourage and see the growth of the others in the group. My prayer life has also gained more depth due to the time we spend praying for each other and following up with one another. Lastly, I developed great Christian friendships through that group. You know what, as I reflect on that, and just as I was even talking with Jesse this week about it, I don't think it's any stretch to say that, that God has really transformed Jesse's life in significant ways in the context of these small, committed relationships with brothers in Christ. That's the power of relational ministry, and it continues. I mean, even now, um, talking about accountability, which we need in our lives— uh, Jesse sometimes struggles to wake up in the morning to read scripture before work. 
And he asks for accountability on that. And what happens, he sets his alarm early on his phone, but he keeps saying snooze, 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 snooze. And he realized I just kept getting some, my scripture reading pushed out of my schedule because I kept hitting snooze. And so the form of accountability that he requested is that one of the men in our, in our huddle sends him a text message every morning at 5.50 a.m. to remind him to get up and read scripture. And it works really, really well. There's not a grudge there or anything like that because Jesse specifically asked for it and it's really working well. It's really a neat thing that, that can only happen when you have a close, committed relationship with someone else where you allow the accountability. That's the power of relational ministry. Now, one other aspect of Frieden's relational ministry is our outreach. We don't do a whole lot of disconnected, random service events and outreach uh, events in the community because we believe that the gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships. Therefore, when we are going to invest in terms of outreach in the community, we want it to be something that, that fosters ongoing relationships with non-Christians. Right now, our Freedom's Leadership Board is working on an outreach-oriented vision of how we, in a very concerted effort, want to in, in, engage our community with the gospel. We're still working on the details of it, but I promise you that, that however it comes out is, is somehow going to be focused on engaging in ongoing relationships with people rather than a shotgun approach of a bunch of random activities. Um, because, again, gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships. Now, earlier I said that if you don't have alignment between the three levels of culture, it's going to struggle to really gain traction. You may have a great stated value like discipleship through relationships, but it's not going to be lived out if you don't have alignment between all three levels. And there's that deeper level of underlying assumptions that frequently derails well-intentioned values. I want to highlight a few common, unhealthy, and unbiblical underlying assumptions that can derail this value for relational ministry. These are just things I've observed uh, through the years. These are just things that are oftentimes unspoken, but they do make a difference in derailing relational ministry. One is just this idea that religion is a private matter. If someone has that mentality, or if their idea is the Christian life is primarily an individual journey, that, you know what, there is some truth there in terms of we do personally have to come to faith in Christ on our own. It's not something that our parents or a friend can do for us. Yet, the Christian life is designed to be lived in the context of quality relationships. If, you, if someone has these beliefs underlying uh, their lives, it's going to derail that value for relational ministry. If someone has the underlying assumption that, you know what, I can't really trust anyone, you know what, they're going to keep everyone at arm's length. If they have an underlying assumption of, you know what, if people really knew me, they would reject me. Again, they're going to put on the front, they're going to keep people at arm's length. And perhaps an underlying assumption which has good intentions, but it says all people need for growth is more Bible teaching. You know what? We do need the Bible deeply ingrained in our lives to grow. But we need more than just the, 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 the teaching of it. We need help in applying it to our lives. And that's where accountability comes in and be, being able to verbally process it together. Uh, another thing is that uh, un unhealthy underlying assumptions that effective programs are the pathway for fruitful ministry. Effective programs and ministries are beneficial. They're valuable, but not in and of themselves. They, they are to be uh, conduits for getting the Bible into people's lives and then for, for vehicles, being vehicles that foster relationships where people can help each other grow as iron sharpens iron. So these are some of the unhealthy and unbiblical underlying assumptions. Now, a few of the healthier ones. 
a healthy and biblical underlying assumption is that people grow best when they're in caring, accountable relationships with other Christians. This is a healthy perspective to have. Another one is people need help applying the biblical knowledge. Help getting it from their head down into their daily lives, just like Jesse needed help. He knew he needed to read scripture. He needs help and accountability in putting that into practice. And, and finally, this is where the gospel enters right into it, is the idea that because I am fully loved by God, I can open myself up to others. I don't have to fear shame or judgment. That's what the gospel does. It frees us up to be ourselves, to be honest, and be vulnerable, and in the context of love and care and relationships, to experience true healing from the inside out as the gospel gets down into our heart and transforms us, and as we experience the love and care of those around us. This is a healthy underlying assumption that helps foster an environment of, of relational ministry. Now, as we've been going through this morning, you've probably realized that relational ministry is pretty important to me. I, I have a big passion for relational ministry. If you miss that, you probably have not really been mentally here at all. <laughs> but since you're laughing, you're at least here for that moment. I want to close just with an illustration of how important I think relational ministry is. Back before I started interviewing for this pastor role here at Freedens, I was interviewing at another church. So I did date before I committed to Freedens. <laughs> but I was interviewing at another church, and this church was a large church in a different part of the country. And it was for an associate pastor role. Someone from that church had contacted Dr. Nyquist and asked if he has any referrals of students who are near graduation who might be good for this role. And so Dr. Nyquist gave them my name. And this, like I said, it was a large church. They had a very well-known senior pastor who has a daily radio program. They, have wor they had worship leaders who are very well-known, who, who write songs that we sing here at Freedens. There are many great things about this church. In many ways, it was very, very enticing. I mean, one of the uh, personally enticing things for me is that they had an annual book allowance for each pastor of $2,000 that I could spend on books for my ministry. I like books. That was very, very enticing. I've never heard of anything near that from any other church, and I'm not asking Freedens for that either. <laughs> Freedens does give me a little book, a, a nice book allowance that I really like. But there are a lot of good things about this church, but I ended up saying no. I mean, there's still an open door. I, I had a number of phone interviews. Uh, there was an open door to keep going further, but then I eventually said, no, uh, this is not the right fit for me. And the reason is this church didn't live out relational ministry to the degree that I value it. When I began to ask about, you know what, how does this church do outreach? How do you strive to reach people with the gospel? The main answer that I received, and maybe it was just this one pastor who was involved in the search process with me, but he said, you know what? The main thing is that people come into our church to hear the preaching. And it is world-class preaching, but, but they come in to hear the preaching. That wasn't what I was hoping to hear, because I wanted to hear, how are you engaging the broader community in a, in a relational way that you're actually getting out to where people are? And then when I began to ask, how are you helping, what, what are your, uh, what's your process for helping people grow as followers of Christ? What's your discipleship process? You know, there were a number of things that were shared, and I mean, this church does have small groups and, and some other things, but the primary focus, which is the main thing that I as an associate pastor at this church would be asked to do, is that they help people grow through preaching and teaching. And the teaching is specifically in lecture settings. 
And you know what? That is important. It's good to get quality, deep, engaging biblical teaching and preaching. I do not want to undermine that at all. But I think you need more than that. And so, so when I began to realize, you know what, this heart and value that I have for relational ministry, when, when this church, again, a lot of good things are going on there. A, a good, solid, healthy church. But I realized that is not a good fit for me, so I had to say no. And then when I told Dr. Nyquist about this, at first he was a bit surprised, but then I explained my reasoning, and he, he ended up affirming that conclusion. And then he commended me for remaining faithful to that relational focus I have. In ministry, he agreed. You know what? That, that is probably the best decision for me. I want to clarify the reasons that I value relational ministry are not only because it fits my personality, although it does. I don't only value relational ministry because it fits well with my experience in ministry, even though that's true as well. Even going back to my earliest days as a Christian, my early 20s involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, a campus ministry, that was a very, very relational ministry. For many years, I always had people intentionally investing in my life, and I was investing relationally in other people's lives. So that's ingrained in me. But I think the primary reason I am most passionate for relational ministry is I be believe it is so incredibly important from a biblical and practical perspective in helping people grow as lifelong followers of Christ. And I'll say that I am very thankful to be a part of a church that values relational ministry. I'm very blessed to be a part of the Freedens family. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we can call you Father through Jesus. We thank you that you place us in a family, not only a family with you, but a spiritual family here on this earth as well. And I pray that we will each be intentional to invest in relationships with those around us, that we will not take a minimalistic approach to our walk with you, but that we will recognize that a healthy relationship with you also pretty much requires healthy relationships with Christians around us to hold us accountable, to encourage us, to keep us moving forward, to, to, to just doing, to share life with. And I pray that we as a church family will be intentional in living out relational ministry that stays faithful to the gospel, faithful to scripture, and that personally that we will stay faithful to following you. We love you and thank you for your love for us and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.